You'll be aware that um, this week we've had the sad news uh, that one of the world's great men and most loved men, Nelson Mandela, has died. Um, he, he fought against the apartheid in South Africa, the separation of, um, of the black and the, the white people, um, the forced separation by the government, um, and, and he managed to end it um, when he came into power in 1994, um, after he, he came out of prison. And, and he fought for a country that was united and not divided by things like skin colour. Um, and I think we hold people like that in high esteem, don't we? Um, we, we think of them as really great people, um, people who, who take action to bridge the, the divides that can, that can kind of come up um, between humans. And I, I think that's because we value unity. Um, it, it warms our heart when we see people from different, different races, different backgrounds, uh, working together to achieve a common goal. And we understand that it's a good thing that when we live in harmony, life works better and it's, it's much easier to achieve our goals. But obviously the world isn't always like that. You know, we see, we see conflicts all around us um, in, in the Middle East and in Africa especially, and there's civil war going on uh, all the time. And um, I, think, I think unity is, is particularly important to groups that are under attack. And, um, and if you've been here um, recently when we've been doing acts, um, we, we've seen how the church, the early church in the first century was under attack from people on the outside, from the Jews and from the Romans as well. Um, so, so last, I think it was, might have been the week before last, we saw how um, Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel. They were put in prison and they were told that they were to carry on preaching the gospel. Um, now Luke, who is the guy who wrote this book, um, along with Luke's gospel. Um, he takes a bit of a sidestep now from the external persecution. Um, he will come back to it later on because there's a lot more of it to come. Um, but he deals here with an internal threat to the church, something, something that's, um, that's threatening the church from the inside. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that um, it, originally I was just given the passage in chapter 5 that, that Sam read um, and not the bit before it that, that Sam also read before it. Um, but I'm glad that Ian did give me that, that last bit because I think it's really important to understand what's going on in that story. Um, I think um, lots of people who, are, people who are familiar with that story often find it quite confusing, quite um, may, maybe embarrassing uh, and maybe quite troubling um, that these people are just kind of struck down by God and killed for this, this mistake. Um, and it's, it's tempting for people to, you know, I've heard people say, um, oh, it was, it's just a legend, it didn't really happen, or it's a metaphor um, and, and didn't really happen. But I think if we believe the Bible to be God's word, um, then, then Acts is, is kind of a narrative, and it, it's, all, it's all true, it all happened. Luke is a historian, and he, he's written down things as they happened. Um, so I think we've just got to work our brains a little bit harder um, to try and, uh, and work out what's going on here. So I'm not going to promise that I will answer every one of your questions that you might have about the passage, but hopefully I can help us understand it enough um, that we can, we, we can learn something from it and that we can not be not so troubled by it. Um, and there's three, three things I want to look at. Um, I did have a really nice PowerPoint presentation all prepared to go up there for you to look at and follow along, uh, but that didn't go so well, so it's not there. So you'll just have to follow along in your heads so we've got three points, 
what did unity look like in the early church? Uh, why was unity important? And uh, finally, unity under threat. Um, so let's, let's have a read of that first bit again. So if you, if you want to grab your Bibles and, uh, and get Acts chapter 4, if, you, if you're not already there, it's on page 1096. Um, so verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claims that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he earned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I think this is a really heartwarming picture, isn't it? It's a, a community of believers who really love each other and really care for each other, and, and they're willing to sacrifice things for each other, and, and they want to make sure that everyone's needs are met and they're completely united. Um, let's, let's break that down a little bit. Um, so firstly, we're told that they were one in heart and mind. They all loved Jesus. They all believed the gospel that the apostles were preaching. They all believed that Jesus had died for their sins and that he'd risen again. It was a, it was a shared belief, a shared faith. Um, and there was, no, there was no bickering about you know, what, what the flowers should look like or what what hymns they should sing. They were just, they were completely together on the, the fundamental beliefs um, of the Apostles' message. Um, we know this from the prayer that we looked at last week um, in Acts chapter 4. Luke is able to say that, that they, all of the believers, uh, prayed the prayer together. So we know that they agreed on the things that they pray about. They agreed on the sovereignty of God, um, that, that he is in control of all things. They believe in the person of Jesus and what he did. And I think this, um, this phrase, one in heart and mind, I think that is the key that unlocks the rest of the passage for us and it helps us to understand uh, the actions of the believers. Um, because what we believe impacts what we do. Faith overflows into action. And this is exactly what Luke describes next. Um, so they all, they all share all of their possessions with each other. Um, we've already seen this earlier on in Acts chapter 2. Um, and if, if, God, if God created everything, then everything is his. Um, and we, we shape and mould what God has given us into the things that we want and the things that we need. Um, but ultimately, everything is, is God's. So, um, so the believers believe this and um, and it meant that they were not too preoccupied with their, their own possessions, so they were able to share them with other people. Um, I, was, I was trying to imagine exactly how this worked. Um, I think nowadays we'd have like a little website, wouldn't we, where um, people could go on and say, you know, I really need a new pair of shoes, um, and I can't afford them. I, you know, white size 11s if you can. And then someone else comes on and says, oh, yeah, I've, I've got a pair of those. I've got a pair of those. Um, you know, come and collect them next Tuesday, and uh, and they're really comfy. They're in really good condition. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not how they did it. 
um, because they didn't have the internet or computers or anything like that, um, which, is, which is in itself hard to imagine. But, um, but they obviously had some system of, um, of sharing possessions with each other so that no one need, needed anything. Um, yeah, it says, in, it says in verse 34, if you look down, that there were no needy uh, persons among them. And not only did they share what they had, uh, but some of them even went as far as selling um, the things that they owned, um, selling their property and, and their land, um, so that people could live um, and people could feed their families. It is a really radical thing, I think. Uh, we even Luke gives us an example of someone who did this. Um, as I said, Luke is a historian, and he likes to kind of put a few names in there so people can go and check you know, did this really happen? They can go and look up these people and say, this is what Luke says happened. Um, and they can say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what happened. Um, so this, this guy's um, called Barnabas and he's going to feature a lot um, later on in Acts. So um, we'll, we'll, uh, Ian and Rich will come back to him in future weeks. Um, but here we're just told that he sells a bit of land that he's got and he gives all of the money to the church. Um, it's what the, the rich young man in Matthew chapter 19 couldn't do. Do you remember that story? Uh, when a man comes up to Jesus and he says, how can I have eternal life? Um, and Jesus says, um, you need to follow all of the commandments. And the man says, I, I do this. I, I do follow all of the commandments. And Jesus says, well, go and sell all of, all of your possessions and, uh, and give it to the poor. And the man goes away sad because he was, he was a really rich person. And he says that he was following the commandments, but really, he didn't, he didn't love people. He didn't love God as much as he loved himself. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, Jesus wasn't saying that the, act, the actual act of selling this stuff would get him into heaven. But it shows what he's thinking. It shows what, he's, what he really believes. Um, what, what is it that these Christians believe on? They, they believed that real treasure is in heaven. That's something Jesus said. That real treasure is in heaven, not on earth. So they didn't find it too difficult to part with earthly wealth. Another thing they believed is that all Christians, no matter what their backgrounds or social status, were brothers and sisters, and that they're all dearly loved by God, all forgiven, um, all, all sinners. And, and so there's, there's no problem removing some of their own comfort for, um, for the needs of their brothers and sisters. And they also believed that um, God really came to earth as a man, Jesus Christ, to show real radical love and sacrificial generosity in dying in their place when they hadn't earned it. So it wasn't really too much to ask for them um, to be sacrificially generous and radically loving in the way that they dealt with each other. So this is what, the uni what unity looked like in the early church. Shared belief, shared possessions, and shared wealth. Uh, it, it was, they were united. There was unity which came from oneness in heart and mind. Um, now before you go trying to give away your shoes, um, that's not what unity is going to look like for every group of believers across all time. Um, but it's just a, it's a good example of how it works out in that particular time and that particular place 
Um, and we'll think a bit more later about how it might work out for us in 21st century Rotherham rather than 1st century Jerusalem. But why? Why was it important? Why was unity really important? I think it's one of those things that we, we kind of know instinctively that unity is a good thing and that it's an important thing, but maybe it's a bit harder to put into words. Um, but thankfully Luke does that for us. Uh, so there's a few reasons that he gives. Uh, firstly, it stops them being distracted from their main aim, from their, the mission of preaching the gospel. Uh, notice that it says, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Um, there, was a, there was a heck of a lot of work to be done in getting the gospel from a small community in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, as Jesus had commanded. And uh, they certainly didn't need to be hampered by infighting. Um, it shows that God was at work. That's another reason. It says God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Their unity was evidence to the world that God was really at work in that place. Um, that it wasn't just some kind of fad or cult, but God, God was really at work because these people were united when it's really difficult to unite people um, elsewhere. And finally, it empowers them to reach out. So imagine being a Christian on your own at that time, and there's been a, a proclamation from the Jews saying, you're not to preach the gospel anymore. If you're on your own, you're probably like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Because, you know, it's, it's going to get me thrown in prison or killed. It's going to be awful for me and my family. Um, but if, if they're working together and living together, they can encourage each other and build each other up in the, the truths of the gospel. Um, and they can keep preaching the good news. So unity was incredibly important for the mission of the church. In fact, without it, there really wouldn't be a mission to speak of. And that's, that's what we need to understand uh, when we come to this story of Ananias and Sapphira. So we know that the church was under threat from the outside and it would continue to be for the rest of Acts and it would continue to be for the rest of time and it, it still is today. But now we're told about this threat from, from inside. Um, let's read that story again to refresh our memories. Acts chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? Uh, you've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in and found her dead, uh, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. 
great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. I think it's a pretty shocking read, really. Uh, maybe if you're familiar with the story, it's not, it's not as shocking. Um, but everything has been going great in the church in those last six verses. And it's kind of heartwarming and encouraging. And then these verses leave us feeling a little bit cold and maybe a little bit disturbed. Because God is a loving God, right? And he's a forgiving God. And yet he strikes down and kills two members of his church for just, just a little lie. Why was the punishment so severe? And why, why doesn't that happen now? And as I said earlier, I hope that I can help us understand um, this passage well as having to resort to saying it was, it was a legend or it was, you know, it was coincidence that it happened today at that time. Um, so the first thing we need to know is what was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira? What, what did they actually do wrong? Um, it isn't that they didn't give enough. That wasn't the problem. They were absolutely free to sell the property or to not sell it. And after they'd sold it, they were free to give some of the money to the church or none of it or all of it. It was completely up to them. It was their property to do with what they want. And, uh, and Peter says exactly that, doesn't he? So the sin is not giving too little. Um, the sin is instead hypocrisy. So here's, here's a definition of, of what I think hypocrisy is. So it's, it's failing to practice what you, pe- what you preach what you preach. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Failing to practice what you preach and then deceiving others into thinking that you do practice it. So it's failing to practice what you preach and then deceiving others into thinking that you do practice it. Ananias and Sapphira are hypocrites because they're claiming to give all of the money from the sale to the church when in fact they're keeping some for themselves and to go away on a nice little holiday or something. I don't know. Um, They want all of the recognition for being super spiritual without the inconvenience of actually having to do it. Um, The word that is used um, in the the Greek, which our Bible translators uh, kept back, um, it's got this idea of stealing or embezzling. So it means that um, that Ananias has made a contract with the church to say, I'm going to sell this land and you're going to get the money from it. Um, and, and he breaks the contract. He, he steals the money, essentially, from the church. So instead of being motivated by love to, to sell their land, they were motivated by pride. They wanted other people to hold them up with Barnabas and you know, look, look at these great examples of really holy people. Um, but unfortunately for them, they found out straight away. So let's have a look at the punishment. Um, you might expect them, if you come into this story for the first time, to get a little telling off from Peter. Like a, a, a slap on the wrist, a sort of, um, you know, confess it and, uh, and, and repent of it and promise not to do it again. And we'll go on from there. But instead, they die. They pay the ultimate price. Mananias doesn't even get a chance to answer Peter's accusation. He just falls down dead and Sapphira suffers exactly the same fate. Um, we're not told how they died, um, just that on hearing that their sin was exposed, they both fell down and expired. Um, some people have suggested that it could have been a heart attack, um, but I think this seems fairly unlikely um, that they both happened to have a heart attack at this time. Um, other people have said maybe it was the stress of being found out that kind of caused them to 
the bodies just kind of stop. But it just, it just seems really unlikely that that is the case. And I think there are clues um, in the passage that show us that actually um, this, is, this is a direct judgment from God. Um, notice that uh, some young men come and carry them out and bury them straight away. Verse 6 and verse 10. Do you want to check that? Um, this wasn't the normal Jewish way of doing things. Um, usually when someone died, there would have been a period of mourning. Um, and it was, it was kind of a well-established tradition that they had. And they would be uh, clothed in the proper burial clothes. And they would be buried with, uh, by their family. Uh, but that doesn't happen. They're just carried out by some random guys that they maybe didn't even know and buried straight away. Um, so why, why, why is that? Luke's obviously included it for a reason. Um, and I think, um, I think we need to go back to the Old Testament um, to understand this. So in the book of Leviticus, um, which is towards the start of the Bible, um, there's a story in chapter 10 about two guys called Nadab and Abihu, who were the sons of Aaron. Um, and it says in Leviticus chapter 10, that they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. And God strikes them down in judgment, and they die immediately. Um, and they're, they're carried off still in the same tunics that they were wearing. And the people are told not to mourn for them um, in the same way that they usually would, because it is a direct judgment from God. Um, I think, I think uh, these, these guys sin. Um, I was going to try and say the names again, but I have no idea how he's supposed to pronounce them. So um, we'll leave it as these two guys. Um, at the time, um, the Israelites had just got out of Egypt and they were heading for the Promised Land and uh, they'd built this tabernacle. And uh, the, the tabernacle was a special place where God dwelt. Um, and it was, it was a place um, where the priests were to present sacrifices of animals um, for the people's sin to be forgiven. It was, it was like a, it was a brand new era when God was present with them in a special way. Um, they'd just been instructed previously how the people's sin was to be atoned for, and next God was going to tell them how they were to, um, how they were to act um, in a way that was different to the world, so they could be set apart and that, and that people could see that they were different. Um, and God, God couldn't have His people disobeying His rules within five minutes of giving him. It kind of makes a mockery of him, in a way. And it says that the rules are not important. Um, I'm sure you've all had rules growing up, uh, school and at home. Um, maybe, maybe the teachers, I think we've only got one teacher here, um, can back me up on this, but I think it's really important that the first time a rule is broken, the, the punishment is enforced. Is that, is that a fair thing to say? Yeah. If there's, if there's no punishment, the rule just becomes a jerk and uh, people can feel free to, to do what they want and get away with it. Um, now, when I was younger, uh, we had one computer in the house, which might be quite shocking to some of the younger people here. We had one computer to share between three of us, me and my two sisters. Um, and so we obviously used to fight all the time and argue about who, who should be on it at which particular time and whose work was more important work was more important than, uh, than anyone else's. So my mum bought a timer, 
And when we went on the computer, we set our timer for one hour. And then when the timer went off, we had to get off the computer. And we were given five minutes grace to sort of save our work and, and whatever. And then we had to be off. Now, if the first time I went on it, set the timer for an hour, the end of the hour, I'll just, I'll just reset it. Just set the timer again, you know, get lost, sisters, you, you know, I'm, I'm doing more important stuff. If, if my mum had then, you know, not punished me, I think, I think the punishment was like, you were allowed to go on it for three days or something. So, if, if she hadn't punished me at that point, then, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have mattered. I'd, I'd, I would have just done that all the time. Um, but that rule is obviously in place for a reason. It's, it's there to stop us fighting. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the punishment needed to be enforced. Um, otherwise we'd have just done what we wanted and we'd have come back to fighting and arguing um, hopefully some of that will help us to understand why the punishment for Ananias and Sapphira was so severe this was a brand new era of the church um, a, a, a new type of community whose job it was to spread the good news of Jesus out across the world um, this was to be a united community of love and generosity which showed the practical outworking of the gospel it, it showed that, that God was with them that this, this was true and because it changed people so to have this hypocrisy um, could only be uh, damaging to the unity of the group and how it looked to the world and it could have really hampered the cause of the gospel and they, they all needed to be shown that um, that this just isn't the way for Christians to behave and that God doesn't approve. Um, Jesus was recorded as speaking against hypocrisy a few times in the Gospels. Um, I think, uh, so Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention uh, to the plank in your own eye? Um, it's a particularly um, vivid image of, uh, of hypocrisy. Uh, Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites because they expect people to follow these same uh, hyper-holy rules that they do, and yet they don't love people. Um, so unity was really important for the, the early church, uh, but hypocrisy can only bring division. So God had to act. If he didn't, the yeast of hypocrisy, as Jesus calls it, would have spread throughout the church, and it would have just brought the church down from the inside. Um, so it was surely a tactic of Satan um, to do this and, and got out to kind of stop it immediately. So I think, I think this was probably pretty terrifying for the church back then, that two people just died. And it might scare us a little bit now. Um, because I think we probably all know in our hearts that we're guilty of some hypocrisy. So it's important to know that hypocrisy is not like an unforgivable sin. There are, there are no unforgivable sins, um, just to be clear. If you're a Christian, then Jesus' death covers over every one of your sins, and, and there's nothing unforgivable. And I think probably Ananias and Sapphira were forgiven for their sins, I think even though they experienced this punishment of physical death, I think they were part of the community of believers. I think they were Christians. Um, I think they had faith, but they made a big mistake. Uh, Satan got in and, 
and, uh, and cause them to make a big mistake. So, don't quote me on this, but I think we, we'll probably see Ananias and Sapphira in the new creation, um, but we can't know for sure, because Luke doesn't tell us for definite. Um, so what, what should we actually take away from this? Um, what does it mean for us at Rotherham Evangelical Church to be a united community of believers? Um, I've got two things for you to go away and think about that flow from this passage. Uh, so the first thing is, be honest with each other. Don't be hypocrites. Uh, we shouldn't be coming to church to impress everyone with our holiness. That is not the point. Or our, or our faked holiness. Um, sin still plays a part in all of our lives, every one of us. And we're not perfect, even though some of us are pretty good at giving that impression. Um, I, think, I think all it does is to create distance between us and division. Um, when, when we try and make out like we're absolutely fine, that everything is all right. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners who are under God's grace, trying to overcome our struggles and to live uh, in a godly way. So we shouldn't try, try to struggle on our own. Uh, now, I'm really blessed to be sharing a house uh, with a guy called Tim, who's a Christian too, uh, and I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. Um, he's not here to stop me, so that's fine. Um, and Tim, Tim knows that I've been struggling to pray recently. So he'll challenge me and he'll ask me how it's going um, and, and he'll make sure um, that, that I know I can, I can be honest with him. Um, I can say, yeah, I've, I've really been struggling this week and, and he'll pray with me and, and we can uh, talk about practical ways of, of changing that. So make sure that you have one or two good Christian friends who you can be open and honest with. Um, maybe if, if you don't, maybe the prayer groups is a good place to do that. Um, I think if we're honest with each other, then that creates unity between us. And that can be only good, um, uh, only good for the mission of sharing the gospel. Um, the other thing to take away uh, in following this example is to love sacrificially. Um, as I said, it won't necessarily look exactly the same now as it did then um, because we don't quite have the same divide between rich and poor that they did. Um, but we need to think about how we can really love our brothers and sisters. Um, maybe, um, maybe it'll be a financial sacrifice or may maybe it'll be a sacrifice of time or something else that is really important to us. Um, loving when it's inconvenient for you is a real mark of a, a, a united and spirit-filled church of God. Um, I don't want to give you any concrete examples of this because I think they would sound a bit lame and it might sound like I'm just saying, do this, do this, do this. You might take it away as rules. And I don't want to say that. Um, I think you need to think yourself um, about how you can have that attitude of being sacrificially loving. Um, it was an attitude that Jesus had and his sacrificial love for us uh, bought us our salvation. So let's sacrificially love each other and be one in heart and mind. Amen.